after 39 long years, the Cup is back home. The Bruins are 2011 Stanley Cup champions. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 35 of Bruins Beat, brought to you by CLNS Radio. I'm Mike, joined alongside by Jason, as always. And this week, we decided to add on someone new to the show, Kevin Majuri, who also writes for CLNS Radio for the Bruins on our website, is going to be joining the show uh, from here going forward. So, Kevin, welcome aboard. Thanks, guys. Happy to be aboard and ready to uh, be a part of the show weekly. Before we get into all the Bruins talk and free agency and stuff, we just want to Say that this show is brought to you by Loot Crate. This onslaught of big summer blockbusters makes this the perfect time to celebrate some of pop culture's unstoppable, unrelenting, and unbeatable characters and objects. We've got something you can carry. Something for your kitchen and cool figure to go with our monthly tea and pin. Featuring two Marvel teams plus Warcraft and Dragon Ball Z. No one crate should be all this. Should have all this power. Excuse me. Make sure to log on to LootCrate.com slash CLNS and enter code CLNS to save $3 on any new subscription. So thanks, Luke Crate, for helping out CLNS Radio. But, guys, at the draft obviously was this past week, and the Bruins had two first-round selections. It, there's been a lot of rumors floating around about defensemen the Bruins were looking at, but the Bruins decided to use both their first-round picks, the first one on Boston University defenseman Charlie McAvoy. And I kind of think this one was a no-brainer. I kind of thought that they were going to go into this unless they traded it that they were going defense all the way there. Everyone knows their defense has been the most inconsistent part of their team for quite some time, I would say for two years now. They need young defensemen. They're, they're getting old on the back end with Chara and Seinberg. And I just want to get you guys' thoughts on the Bruins draft in the first round and what you guys think about some of the prospects they picked up. Kevin, I want to hear you first on this one because you know more about McAvoy than we do. Yeah, I mean, I like the McAvoy pick. Uh, going in, I agree with you, Mike. They had to go defense if they did keep the pick. And if they did trade the pick, it was going to be for a defenseman, we would hope. Uh, we would have hoped. But I like the McAvoy pick. It came down. They had uh, they could have gone with Charlie McAvoy, uh, Dante Fabro, or Jacob Chikrin, who fell really as you know very far. I didn't think Chikrin would be there even with the drop that he was going to take. They took McAvoy. He's a BU kid. He's local. They get to keep an eye on him year-round. He, he's a good puck mover. He put up 25 points as a freshman at BU, and he's a legit freshman. A lot of kids that go to these hockey schools, they're not really a legit freshman. They take a year of prep school, or they take a year in the juniors, and then they come to the, these universities. He was a legitimate freshman, no years of prep, came right from high school, put up 25 points as a, as a rookie. He's going through back there. He really runs that power, going to run that power play a lot this year. And I honestly, I love the pick of McAvoy here. He's going to be a good fit on the Bruins, and he's not that far away. People, some people think defenseman goes to college. He could be a little bit of you know a little bit of time, but he's not really that far away. I, I, I think you see him play a million games this year. But with BU being in the area, I saw him play four or five games, and you know impressed every time I saw him. And you look and say, "Well, that kid's a freshman," and now the Bruins get him. And honestly. You know, compared to last year's first round, this year's first round, and the first pick they had, that was a very good pick. And, uh, you know, that's a name that the Bruins will keep an eye out for. I don't know if he'll ever be a top two guy, but definitely will be a top four defenseman and will be a power play quarterback. 
and should help the Bruins with something they've struggled with is getting the puck out of the zone because he loves to rush it up the ice there. I have to agree with Kevin. I think this is a pretty good pick for the Bruins with the choices that they had. They had a lot of choices. They had a lot of trade options, but they chose to stick with it. And I think that the fact that they chose to stick with it with it is pretty telling that Don Sweeney has a plan and he's sticking to it no matter the pressure. And what I thought was interesting, too, is you were talking about him being a freshman at BU and having over 20 points. I thought the interesting fact about McAvoy was he was the youngest player this year in college hockey. I was always impressed watching McAvoy play as well. He was on the World Junior team for Team USA that uh, won bronze over there for the World Juniors this year. So clearly other team, other scouts think he's a good player if he's good enough to be on the World Junior team. Usually players that play on the World Junior team have a pretty good career in the NHL. I'm not saying all of them are studs. but So I liked that. And he was also Matt Grizzlick's deep partner. The Bruin, uh, Bruins fans should know that the Bruins do have uh, Matt Grizzlick signed under con- control for the next two years also. So I thought that was interesting that he goes to BU. He's Matt Grizzlick's D partner, and I'm very happy that he was the youngest player in college hockey because I think he still has more time to grow and mature. And being, I mean, the, the year before, the youngest player in college hockey was Eichel, so I'm looking forward to McAvoy hopefully being on the Bruins, like you said, Kevin, sooner rather than later. Yeah, totally. And, you know, he, he definitely is a good choice. And like you mentioned, he was a lot, he was a, the D pairing with uh, Grizzlick and. Grizzlick even tweeted, you know, great pick. The kid's going to be great. And, you know, who knows better than the guy that played alongside him for pretty much the whole season at BU. Absolutely. And I, I thought it was interesting that they took McAvoy, too, because once Chitrin fell, as you said, Kevin, I was pretty surprised that Chitrin fell. And I figured that he kind of fell into their lap there. But I'm not going to pick, like, you know, pick hairs here. I think both of them are going to have long NHL careers. So I'm, I'm pretty happy with the McAvoy pick as well. And I think for me, the McAvoy pick didn't really surprise me. It's that pick at number 29 that surprised me in Trent Frederick. But I also noticed from what I was listening to that St. Louis is getting a lot of players drafted from that area. Yeah, I thought that, second, that first second pick in the first round was interesting as well. As you said, Trent Frederick, that was the pick that the Bruins got from San Jose for the Martin Jones trade this past summer. It ended up being 29 because the Sharks lost in the Stanley Cup Finals. And this seemed to... You have reached by the Bruins. No one really had him going in the first round. Um, interesting pick by the Bruins. Jason, I mean, uh, Jason or Kevin, I don't I don't really know too much about him because, I, like I said, he wasn't supposed to be a first-round pick. I don't know if you guys did any uh, research on him, if you can tell me what you guys think about the Bruins reaching. I kind of felt like it was the same thing last year when they had three first-round picks and they took Sinishin, who wasn't really projected to be a first-round pick in that area. So, uh, Kevin, what do you think about this pick? Uh, Jason, you can also give your thoughts also. Well, I mean, this one was kind of like my reaction to, reaction to Sinishin last year. It was just like, why did we go this low on this guy? Honestly, Sinishin from my fault in this year and, and seeing what he did, I'm kind of believing more in him and in, in that he could be a top six forward in the NHL. And next year in the OHL, he's, he's most likely going to be a 50-goal scorer. And, and now it looks like a good one. But this Trent Frederick pick really gets to me because – Bob McKenzie said it that he's going to be no higher than a top six, uh, a bottom six forward. Even Keith Gretzky, the head of Bruins scouting, came out and said we don't expect him to be more than a third line center. And my question is, why are you wasting a, a first round pick on a guy like him? I mean, you get Ryan Spooner, you got Spooner in the second round. He's a third round, uh, he's a third line center at best. They got Austin Zarnick, uh, Ryan Fitzgerald. They're looking at bringing back Chris Kelly. Yeah, and they're thinking about bringing back Kelly. I mean, they get so many third line options in this system that I don't understand why you're going for this guy. I know he's far away. He's 
just going to be a freshman at Wisconsin next year. But I, I just it, it baffles me that they pick. I know these glue, you know, these glue guys in the NHL, and, and they help a locker room and stuff, and, and that's important. But you can get those guys off the street too. You know, I mean, look at the Red Sox back in '13. They got Johnny Gomes for basically nothing, and he was a glue guy, and he was one of the main reasons they won the World Series. Like, I don't think you needed to reach and take Frederick at 29 overall. When a guy like Alex DeBrincat, who's scored 51 goals the last two seasons in the best junior hockey league in the world, and had 54 the year before that in the United States Hockey League, which is a very good step down from from the juniors, I don't know why you leave a guy like him on the board to take a reach at a potential at best third line center. So, right, and, and you have an opportunity, like you said, to take DeBrincat, and obviously he's very undersized, he's a very small forward, but you mean know, like you said, he's putting up goals. He made the World Junior team as well. He was supposed to be playing on the first line with, with Matthews and Kachuk, but then he got hurt and missed some time and then didn't really come back and play that well for the World Junior team. But like you said, to break it, that's when you take – end of the first round is when you take a gamble. And I understand you take a gamble on this Frederick kid who's going to be a freshman at Wisconsin. But like you said, take a gamble on to break it who's scoring 50-plus goals in juniors. Yeah, it, 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 exactly. And, and I don't know – what the reason, and, and you know, these comparisons are never right, but you know, when, when a guy is compared to be a mix of Brad Marchand and Johnny Gaudreau, I, I don't leave him there, especially when it's my second, you know, first round pick. Like, this is a pick that I got in a trade. I'm taking a shot at this guy. I mean, he's proven that he can score with the talent around him. I mean, his numbers could be skewed a little bit. He played with McDavid two years ago, he played with Dylan Strom this past year. Both, you know, McDavid's going to be the best hockey player in the NHL in five years, at least offensively. Strom's going to have a very good career in the NHL, but I mean, I, 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 again, I don't understand why you take the the drop to go at Frederick when you could have really had a guy like DeBrincat or anybody else in that in that area because they they had Frederick rank in the ranked in the fifties in in prospects, and there were guys in the twenties that were still there, and everybody almost in the thirties and the forties was still on the board, and they dropped down again, which it's it's baffling that they've done it two years in a row on three picks because. Even the DeBrusque one last year was also a little bit of a surprise. He was supposed to go late first into the second, and the Bruins take him mid first. So we'll see if it pays off for them down the line. But that one's one you got to think about. That's one that you have to think about because the Bruins have other needs in the area. They could have gone defense again for the worst because that's what they need to work on is defense. Absolutely. They definitely got to work on defense. And like you said, they, uh, they don't really have a lot of goal scorers, so I think the Brinkett would have been good. And like you said, also, Kevin, it wasn't their pick. They traded for it. So why not take a chance there? I mean, like you said, this Frederick Cade can end up turning out being a great player. No one really knows right now, but all the projections that you hear just weren't positive. And, it's not what we need. Yeah, it's not what you need right now. You don't want to have people you know, looking at your pick saying, why are you doing that? But the other thing I want to talk about is the, the lack of draft day moves that really you know always going into the nhl draft or any draft for that matter you always hear about the moves like this could be moved this pick could be moved for this player this player's on the block and there are some big names being floated around pk suban kevin shattenkirk cam fowler and none of them seem to be traded anywhere and i just thought this year was kind of a lack of trades i mean you did have a few trades you had lars eller going from montreal to washington you had andrew shaw going from chicago to Montreal. You also had Kulikov staying in the division. Florida traded him to Buffalo. But, I mean, there wasn't... Those weren't major. Those were small. I would say the Shaw one was kind of a little off guard there, and I don't think he's going to be a huge difference maker for Montreal. Shaw's a a good player. There were reports that he was... that Chicago was calling the Bruins on him 
And I think Montreal overpaid for him. Two second-round picks for Andrew Shaw. Good player, but I don't think he's anything great. But it just seemed like there was a lot of names floated around that did not move, that could have moved. And I just thought the trades kind of lacked this year than, than in the years past. Yes, but would you trade David Pasternak to get Kevin Shattenkirk? Oh, no, Which, I'm not saying I would. I'm just saying, like, the lack of – I feel like there was a lack of trades this year compared to usual. And and that's because the prices that the teams were asking for were astronomical. Yeah, I agree with that one. I mean, in even the Shattenkirk one, they wanted both of our first-round picks and Pasternak for Shattenkirk. For a guy that – you know, Shattenkirk is a free agent at the end at the year, year's end. And they also asked, I, I don't know if you guys read it earlier, but I read it from uh, NBC that the Blues asked Detroit for Dylan Larkin as part of the package. Uh, in That's craziness. Which, which That's too much. Terrible, which is why it didn't move. For a player that you can't guarantee term. Yeah, it, they, they can't guarantee a term on him, and that's why he didn't move, because they want way too much for him. I mean, look at Elliott. Elliott got traded for St. Louis. You know, it was St. Louis that traded Brian Elliott, and it was only a second-round pick and a conditional third because, at year's end, he's a free agent. So they obviously didn't have the high asking price on Elliott, who I, you know, hasn't been you know, that top-five goalie in the league, but he's been a consistent, very good goalie the last five, six years for St. Louis, and they get it cheap, and now they're trying to get you know, an arm, a leg, and a head from, from, the, from anybody for Shattenkirk, who is the same situation, is going to be a free agent at year's end. And I think the Bruins probably looked at it and said, okay, there's no guarantee he's going to sign wherever he goes. We can wait until the season and see if the price drops or wait until free agency and scoop him up then next year. So, or wait until the deadline and see if the price drops. Not saying they should go from then, but at least wait. I just think that uh, it's going to be tough for the Bruins right now because I feel, I feel like there's a lack of defensemen on the market. And I know like Shattenkirk's still there, Fowler's still there, but there's no shot in hell the Bruins are getting P.K. Subban. If the Montreal trades Subban, it's going to be out west. They're not going to trade him within the division. And then Kulikov's now off the board. There's been reports the Bruins were in on Kulikov. And then you have the two big free agents, Golagoski and Yandel, that rights were traded, and now they signed big contracts with the teams they got traded to. So I feel like the defensive options for the Bruins is getting smaller and smaller by the day. Yeah, no, it's definitely getting it's definitely getting frustrating, you know, wondering what's going to happen. But I still feel like it, like this, and I said it since the end of the season. I think we're in for three straight years of missing the playoffs. I, I, you know, it, it, it as of right now, I have to agree. I, this team is is just destined for mediocrity right now. They don't have what it takes. A, you know, it's not just that they don't have what it takes specifically. You gotta go with management too. In the fact that management's not making the moves that need to be made. Exactly. It, it, they, you know, and it started with last year when they traded Hamilton. You know, there was all the reports about Hamilton. You never know which one's true or not. But when you trade a guy of that caliber, and even you go back to 2013, when you trade a guy like Sagan, when you trade guys of those caliber that you got for another guy that just, you know, led his team in points in a Stanley Cup uh, triumph in, in Kessel. You know, you're trading these guys and that were supposed to be part of your future, but you, you can't hold on to them because, one, you know, you can't accept the fact that one can't grow up and, you know, stop partying, and, and he still is doing fine in the NHL with doing what he's doing um, in down in Dallas and Sagan. And then Hamilton, who wanted his brother, which if the report was true that he wanted Freddie to be traded to Boston in order to stay, I don't know why we didn't drop a third-round pick on Freddie Hamilton instead of dropping a third-round pick on Zach Ronaldo. So 
I, I agree with you. I can agree with that. The management. It, right now, the management is making some questionable decisions. And, and also, and, and you can call it questionable, but, you know, management making no decisions isn't necessarily helping this team when it comes to their future. Because then we have to worry about next year with Las Vegas being the expansion team coming in, and that's going to cause a major issue. I don't think it's going to be as big of an issue as you think it is with expansion. They're only going to be able to grab one player off the team, and it's not going to be Bergeron, it's not going to be Martian, it's not going to be anyone big. I don't think it's going to have that much of an impact. Yeah, see, in... It looks like we're going to lose either Miller or McQuaid as, like, our guy, which I totally would not be against. Uh, I'd be okay with that. But, you know, that's what it looks like. So it's not going to have a huge effect on us. Um, but, you know, like, Mike, you did mention, if the Bruins can't get Martian under a contract, then he does become a free agent and viable for Vegas. I don't think Martian would spur Boston for Vegas. But the, the big thing, I think, going into this year, outside of getting a defenseman, is getting Marshan locked up at a right price because you don't want him to enter free agency at the end of next. And yet they're trying to focus on resigning Chris Kelly. Yes. All yeah. right. So, uh, <laughs> sorry to cut you off there. I also want to bring in uh, Joe Gill. Joe Gill is a friend of uh, Nick's, and Nick's obviously one of the owners of CONS Radio. And I want to get Joe's thoughts on what he thinks from the Bruins this past year, and um, get his perspective on what he thinks the Bruins are going to be going forward. Joe, you you with us right now? Yeah, I'm just grabbing my ball of antacid because uh, I've been having stomach issues for probably about two years and probably going to be a third. Oh, man, isn't it tough to watch this Bruins team the past few years? Well, you know, you everything you, I was listening to you guys, everything you guys said is pretty much spot on. I think the downfall began with them when they traded Johnny Boychuk because, uh, you know, he was the prototypical Bruin they wanted. You know, had the physicality, had some scoring, had a great shot from the point. Um, and then because Peter Chiarelli put himself in a corner with the cap, um, they trade him, and then, you know, you remember the beginning of that year, all the guys were kind of jolted by the trade, broke up the chemistry, and, you know, I call it on my my Bruins Facebook page, I call it, you know, hashtag curse of boy Chuck, because I think that's where it all fell apart, and, you know, the downward spiral began, because uh, since then, I also think they kind of sold their soul to win the Cup in 11, because ever since then, it's been nothing but bad stuff. <laughs> so, and, uh, Joe, it's funny you mentioned that, because I feel like the boy Chuck thing, but Boychuk trade doesn't get talked about enough around Boston. Everyone always mentions Kessel. Everyone always mentions Sagan, Hamilton, Lucic. And I feel like you're you're actually right about that, about Johnny Boychuk being traded had a drastic effect, I think, on the Bruins' locker room, on the Bruins' defense, obviously left a gaping hole there because when you trade a top-four defenseman and get picks back, you're not replacing him, and they never replaced him with anyone. I mean, I guess you can say they brought up Kevin Miller to be that guy, but I don't think Kevin Miller is the type of player that Boychuk was. And I don't think the Boychuk trade gets talked, no, talked about enough. So I'm glad you just brought that up, the curse of Boychuk. And I'm going to trademark every time I say it now. And I'm going to be like, Joe Gill told me this, and I actually <laughs> and I actually believe it. No, but you got to think about it. We got Brett Conley oh, <laughs> for yeah, those well. picks. So that was – so John, Johnny Boychuk for Brett Conley. That ended up working out really well. Um, yeah, I, I think I, – you know, I wrote a lot on my, my blog as well about that is pretty much the pivotal point where I think everything just fell out and went off the rails because it's just been – uh, you know, a lot of people call me, you know, you know, pessimistic or negative and all that. I'm, you know, I'm sorry. I've been a fan for over 35 years. I'm a realist. Um, I don't believe in unicorns and cotton candy. I'm going to call a spade a spade. And uh, this team, I think Peter Shirelli's ghost has taken over Don Sweeney. Because when I read today uh, or yesterday when they want to sign Chris Kelly, I, I was like, what are we doing here? I almost fell off my chair. He, he can't stay healthy. I will always remember the open net against Chicago in the final that he couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. 
Um, he's a good locker guy, and but that's it. Do we really need him? I mean, we should have kept Sean Thornton. Then. I mean, it's it's kind of the same thing. He's he can't stay healthy. He's a fourth line center, maybe third, you know, if that. But if he's not third line center, we're in trouble. So, but this brings up a good point because I'm gonna say this because I'm gonna go back to that, that interview we ha- we had with Jimmy Murphy. What did Jimmy Murphy say, Mike? He said that if the Bruins were gonna go after these kinds of players, what they're specifically doing is they're trying to set up code to fail. I don't think it's just trying to set up Claude to fail. Claude Julian likes these guys, too, because, I mean, Chris Kelly was on the team with Claude Julian for quite some time now, and uh, Claude Julian likes him. He plays, you know, penalty kill. is a great penalty killer, but that's, like, the only thing he does well. Chris Kelly plays a lot, and I think Claude Julian has an impact on who Sweeney signs. And I I, I thought Claude Julian should have been fired this past year. Joe, Kevin, Agreed. I know I don't know if you guys have listened to me say that. And Jason... Uh, also thought that Claude Julian should have been fired, but we had Jimmy Murphy, I guess, on last week who did, did some work with Dirty Water Sports. He does some, he used to do some work with ESPN Boston and cover the Bruins, and he thinks that they're going to try and set up Claude Julian to fail because that's why they signed uh, Cassidy and brought him to the club. And I, to be honest, I don't think they're trying to set up uh, Julian to fail because they don't. Sweeney and Neely and the management don't want to miss the playoffs two years because that takes money out of their pocket. And that puts them on the hot seat. I think uh, Cam Cam Neely's been getting hammered by all media people, all fans, and I think he's been taking the brunt of all the attacks. So I don't think it's anything about Julian. Everyone kind of lets Julian do whatever Julian wants. But me personally, I thought Julian should have been fired. I want to get your thoughts, Kevin, and I want to get your thoughts, Joe, on what you guys think about Claude Julian. Well, I think I'm the uh, the minority in, in this party here when I say that I I wouldn't have fired him based on the situation. I mean, like I said, I think at the end of the season, you can only do so much with what you, with, with what you have. Uh, the defense that he was given this year, I mean, I, you can't do much about that. He almost brought them to the playoffs. They were, what, two points away from the playoffs the last two years with a pretty bad defense. I've seen what he's done with good teams. He's brought them to a cup final, two cup finals. You know, they won one of them. But, you know, I wouldn't have been against it if they did fire him and change direction. And honestly, I think, you know, it, I don't think he's going to last the whole year. Every team hits a lull during the season, and I think the first lull that they hit post-October, he's gone. Like you mentioned, they bring Cassidy in. Cassidy, who's been talked about the last couple of years, as his replacement. I think this is where he comes in and gets a feel of the system that they have running up in the NHL. The Bruins hit their little lull, and then it's, you know, it's, it's gone for Julian, who won't be, you know, without a job for very long. Somebody will scoop him up, but I think, to my opinion, last year was the situation that he was in, the players that he had, and the job that he did almost taking them to the playoffs. You know, they wouldn't have lasted long. They would have got Washington in the first round, and that would not have been uh, very fun for Bruins fans. So I think I'm in the minority of saying I'm fine with him being kept, but if he was fired, I wouldn't have been against it. And I think that at some point this year, his, his time with Boston will be done. So I'm going to jump in here um, and completely disagree with everything you said. Um, but Claude Julian, basically, if you look at it, they had the worst record, I believe, in hockey down the stretch last season and missed the playoffs. That's two but, years, Joe, if you don't mind me saying Oh, that. yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that, that just tells you something that either he's losing the room or he's just not it's just not resonating anymore. Uh, the way if they would just, you know, kind of teeter tarring back and forth and mediocre and kind of just miss the playoffs by those couple of points and they showed some, you know, showed some spirit and fight at the end and just missed out. Fine. 
I could see that they completely bellied up two years in a row. I mean, I, I don't know how many how many of us could at our job completely be horrible uh, when you know when you have a big project due with a client or something like that and still keep your job. No one. So and when you fire Shirelli, usually the GM and the coach usually go hand in hand. Uh, this is for the first time I didn't see that happen, um, and I just think he'd been clawed. Now I was. Skeptical of Claw before they won the Cup in 11, and granted, a couple skates. If it went a different way, he would have been fired twice already. Um, but I, I just think you need to, you know, you got to start anew. You got to just start, you got a new GM, you got to start fresh, get an, you know, if it's a young coach out there, I think they waited so long they couldn't get anybody anyway. Um, so, I mean, Babcock a couple years ago, be, you know, when he was, you know, left Detroit, you know, talking to Toronto, I don't even think they even got involved in that, which I think they should have because I think the guy is dynamite. Um, but I think Claude, you know, as you did say, if, as soon as they have one of these, uh, you know, three and six, three and seven stretches, he's gone. I mean, they, they but the thing is, they should have gotten rid of him last year. Yeah, he would have been fired in 2013 if the Bruins didn't have the miraculous comeback against Toronto. No they were down four to one in that game. He was absolutely gone. But you know what? That's why sometimes you're able to keep your job. The team buys in. But like you said, Joe, the past two years have not gone well down the stretch for Claude Julian. And I think the players are too complacent in his system. I think it would have been great to have a, a change of scenery for Julian. I think Julian is a good coach, personally. Even though I want him fired, I think he's a good coach. You just look at the, both teams that were in the Stanley Cup Finals this year. You had Pittsburgh, who fired their coach midseason and brought in Mike Sullivan. And you had San Jose, who fired their coach last season and brought in a new coach for this year. And both of those teams were in the Stanley Cup Finals. So you look at that and you say, I think... Claude Julian's a good coach, but I think sometimes a change of scenery, like a change of a voice, a new leader, it kind of sparks the team, and then you go from there. How about how about some of the uh, questionable things? I mean, uh, you know, no no Pasternak on the power play. Marshawn got minimal power play. Some of his shootout um, choices has just wanted me to go throw myself off a bridge. So <laughs> like picking Tory Krug over Ben uh, Marshawn. You know, I I just don't know what he thinks sometimes. I you know, there's a lot of people talking back and forth that. He, he's just kind of just pissed off at management. He's trying to, like, you know, spite them. I mean, I don't I didn't even know half the time what was going on because it's just like, what are you doing? You know, it's just you want to hit your head against the, against the wall so many times with him. Um, like I said, I think the ship sailed. Thank you for the cup. You had a great run. But let's move on. I just feel like in, like in Boston, all the pressure's on you. Like, you want a cup. No one's going to ever say anything bad about you now. No, I'll ever that about you in the future if you lose your job now. Everyone will be like, thank you for the cup. But Bruins fans, that's why I love Bruins fans, because Bruins fans are, are very passionate and very realistic. They And that's why we have you on, Joe. You have a, you run a great site, uh, Facebook website. You do some blog work. That's why I wanted to have different dynamic with you on the show, because you and I are thinking alike here about Claude Julian. And I know his roster and his defense weren't that good last year, but they were in the playoffs pretty much from the end of October until about two weeks left in the season. And yes. They, they couldn't win a game. And I look at that and say, Claude, mix, do something, mix something up. And I'm not saying he's 100% at fault because obviously the players are at fault too. But like you said, Joe, the shootouts, he's he's not putting out his best guys in the shootout. Brad Marchand had 37 goals this year, career high, and he's not in the first five of a shootout. And you lose that game. You get one point there, you win the game. And – the last game of the year, and I know this is on the players too, but not just. Oh God! Like, it's specifically on Tuca for that last game. The last of the year. game of the year, this team wasn't ready to go. Ottawa has nothing to play for. They're out of the playoffs. You win that game, you're in the playoffs pretty much. And the I, team didn't show up. You, your seven million dollar goaltender is not playing. 
I just feel like Claude Julian's lost the room. I think if Jerry Cheevers, Patrick Roy, Grant Fear played that, they lose six one. They just that t- that game was one of the. I mean, like I said, I've been a fan for a long time. I've seen some bad teams in the '90s. That was up there with one of the worst performances ever, especially when everything was on the line. Um, I wish they just had a camera on Cam Neely and Don Sweeney's face throughout that whole game because it was it would have been you know must see TV. Um, j- just you know, as you guys mentioned, so many people in Boston. If you win a cup here, all of a sudden you are a sacred cow, and you cannot be touched or be criticized. Right? I get like people attack me on my Facebook community page because. I'm critical and all that. Well, you're a fan, and that's your right. You can be critical. Um, they, they just, everything since, like I said, they, I wrote an article that they sold their soul to win the Cup in 11. I really think they did because Chiarelli put him in such a bind after it. Like in 2014, like, again, like, he wanted to come back, couldn't get him. And that, remember, that was the best Lucic uh, regular season performance in a long time because he got, Gimlin got so much out of him and Kretschy that that line was dynamite and just dynamic yeah it was in that line was incredible i was at 42 games games that you're at home to watch it it was incredible to watch but yet they could not get past montreal and that's on tuca well well i'm a big tuca fan so um so i'm probably gonna disagree here i just think tuca gets uh tuca is not tim thomas now this is the thing that is always going around is that you got the Tim Thomas militia, I call them, that they just absolutely love Tim Thomas. He did everything right, and Tuka does nothing right. Now, the, the, the final game against Chicago in 13, um, I'm pretty sure that his defense fell apart at the end, too. I don't think it was all him on that. I think it goes hand-in-hand, hand, your goaltending and your D. If you have one of the worst defenses in the league, you are not going to play well, unless you just have an all-world kind of thing like Tim Thomas did and Bill Ranford did in 90. You know, just making saves that you like. Did this just happen? And that doesn't really happen. It's like generational or, you know, once every 10 years. You don't see that constantly. Uh, I just think, uh, did he have a great season? Not at all. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. But I, like I said, he had just a, a bag of crap in front of him. And when your best defenseman is probably, God, I, I, I can't pick one, but I would say Chara, but he's lost five steps. I mean, so I can't really. Tuka's won them probably about a half a dozen games too. So, so you don't, uh, you aren't. So you were pretty critical when he set out the last game of the year. I mean, this isn't well, the first first time he's done that. Like he's in the, oh, he did in the Olympics too, in the yeah. Olympics as well. So that's why it's, I think it's a little questionable that it's happened uh, twice. No, I no that one I kind of went at him on that one. That was kind of like that was kind of um, you didn't step up and show your best. But if the thing is, if he was uh, if he had stuff coming out of both ends, um, you know, I, I I don't know what I would do. I don't know if I'd sit out there and you know basically crap my pants like the rest of the team did that game. Um, I don't think they would have won that game with anybody, to be honest with you. No, to be honest, I, I would you have you even shown up at the stadium? What's that? That was happening. Would you have even shown up at the stadium? Uh, well, that's the thing. Would you have even gone on the ice and all that? Because you should have Gustafson have that mindset that he's starting and not just like, you know, oh, by the way, you're starting in about 10 minutes. So I agree that that should have been done. If he felt like crap then, he should have gave ample notice ahead and they could have called up a kid from Providence to back up Gustafson and all that stuff. So, yes, I agree there. That was kind of uh, not a good move. Now, that's like one of the small issues I have with Tuka. My biggest issue is the fact that he doesn't play that hard. He doesn't really seem like he cares. There, were, there was a game against the Canadians early last year where he just where the coach let him sit and he didn't fight it. Well, he well Montreal's in his head. I'm pretty sure he, his record against them is just horrific. Abysmal. It's abysmal. Uh, yeah, so it's one of those teams that, like other teams he owns, that team just is in his head. And I'm not making excuses for him. That's the team we need him to beat. I mean, that happened – didn't work out in 14. That was another choke job for the whole team and him too. Um, 
But I was at that the Winter Classic, and as bad as that game was, I think it was him and Bergeron were the only two guys on that ice that cared that game. And they, they should have lost 10-1. to that was Yeah, just, that game was pitiful. Oh, God, I'm so happy I got those tickets for free because I would have lost my mind. But anyway. Um, but you see, my, my argument with that isn't that Tuka Rask is a bad goaltender. Goal I just don't think Tuka Rask is worth what he's getting paid. Uh, yes, I can agree there. But here's the thing where, you know, I like to ask people on my page when they, you know, the Tuka haters come out. And as soon as, as soon as they lose, you know, as soon as he loses a game, they come out in a full, you know, full force. But when they he wins five, six in a row, I don't hear from him, which is odd. Um, Funny how that one works, huh, Joe? Oh, yeah. But the thing is, the question <laughs> I ask is, who's going to replace him? Subban, he's terrible. Um, I'm trying to think the other guy in Providence stuff. McIntyre? Right. Yeah, McIntyre. Yeah, yeah, he came up for, what, he came up for a cup of tea, and that was about it. So, I mean, they have no depth, really. Um, I, I know they picked a, another goaltender not, you know, not, not too long ago, but it's like, what are these guys doing? You don't hear anything because they're not doing much. Um, and letting Gustafson go, I think, is was a mistake. I know he's had the heart issues and stuff, but Subban's not ready to back up at all. So I don't know what they're going to do there. They, this year, and I just heard you guys mention earlier that they may miss the playoffs. I completely agree. I They have done nothing to improve the team. Um, I, I know they shed a lot of, uh, you know, salary cap and things like that, but all these young kids are making zero, going to make zero impact this year, probably again. I mean, you know, where we're at. So I guess in Boston, it's okay just to make the playoffs. I mean, we were borderline dynasty, you know, three or four years ago. And now the team has completely imploded. It's just, it's mind boggling that you go from 2011 cup 12, you know, it was one of those years they got knocked down the first round. 13 Cup, 14 President's Trophy, two years you missed the playoffs. Like, how does that happen? Yeah, it's pretty mind-blowing. Kevin, I want to get your thoughts on Tuka Rask. Obviously, uh, you, you're new to the show from even from, for CONS Radio as well. What are your thoughts on Tuka Rask? Were you, were you mad that he obviously he didn't play the last game of the year? Do you think he's getting paid too much money? What is your, is your overall thoughts on Tuka Rask, Kevin? Well, I mean, I agree with Joe here. I, I've been a big Tuka supporter, you know, since he came up into the league. Honestly, the, the final game of the season, he should have played. I looked at it as a lose-lose situation for him. Either he is sick and he goes out and plays and plays terrible, and then everybody complains about him not being able to step up in a big in a big moment, or he doesn't play and the Bruins get smoked because Gustafson couldn't stop, you know, because, like you said, he wasn't really ready to be a starter that game, gets smoked, and everybody blames Tuka for not playing in the biggest game of the season. So it was a lose-lose for him. In that situation, you really got to play unless you're really, like, off the wall sick, you know, which then you don't play. But I support him, you know. I've never been huge on the money, but that's that's the going rate for a goalie right now. He had a great year. Um, not It wasn't particularly amazing, but he had a great year that, that lockout shortened season when he signed a $3.5 million deal to prove that he was, uh, you know, the full-time starter for this team. And then he goes out, and I think it was Rene at the time. Rene and Quick were both making around the same money, and that was the going rate for a top goalie. And they signed him to that. And then he won the Vezina the next year. So it looked good. Um, like I said, though, I'm not totally sold on the $7 million a year. But at some point down the line, it look, he might not be top five. You know, by the end of his contract, he might not be top five, top eight paid goalies in the NHL. I mean, Lundqvist is already ahead of him. Rene's at the same price. I think Schneider is getting more or Bobrovsky. Bobrovsky's getting more. getting more. They're all, yeah, like, they're all up there, you know, so... I, I still support the guy. I think, you know, he should be our starting goalie going forward unless you get a huge package in return for him. And I agree with Joe. Who's there? You know, Subban has not proven himself, and he just doesn't look that good in, in Providence right now. 
Uh, McIntyre hasn't really played enough in the in the pro level to prove that he is worthy of being a starter. And you know, Gustafson's a good backup. He he's a solid backup, especially you know in a good system. But you know, he can't be a, a full time starter. It looks like right now. And the free agent market is very very thin this year. So I think you have to go with the guy you have, unless you really have a big package and, and go out and get Ben Bishop from Tampa. You know, he's he's the guy to stick with right now. No, and right, and you know, Kevin, although I don't think the Bruins are going to make the playoffs, I do agree that Tuka Rask is the player that we have to stick with right now. I, I think that the Bruins need to con- consider still looking towards the future and trying to find his replacement. I mean, to how, better this team. how many stud goalies are out there? Think about it. You had Pittsburgh uh, take, you know, that kid took, uh, I think, was it Murray, I believe, yep. took uh, took uh, Flory's spot. And then uh, that guy, Martin Jones, remember him? Um, he, he basically, you know, he leads the way for the Sharks, too. I mean, I, I'm trying to think of, you know, you got Rene, you got Jonathan Quick. You know, neither of those you know, guys went past two rounds. Um, you know. King Quick Henry. also has two cups, though. Yeah, well, I, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But there's one thing about the Tuca. If you look at Tim Thomas's 11 run and Tuca's numbers in 13, they're not too far off. Yeah. Said the wins, of course. But, um like, you know, I, I, Tuca is just like, it, he has to have a good D in front of him to be elite. That's it, period. And to he, be honest, I understand what you're saying that, Joe. I, I understand. You do need an elite defense to be a go, good goaltender, but I mean, you just, you just get paid $7 million. You're the third highest paid goalie in the NHL. And I agree with Kevin that he put, he took a bet on himself. And I don't blame Tuca Rask for signing the contract. If someone comes up to me and says, hey, here's $7 million to play goaltender for the Boston Bruins, I'm taking that in a heartbeat. And I just wish the Bruins didn't overspend and overpay for him. And one, I mean, but like you said, Kevin, it seems like that's going to be the rate because Freddie Anderson just got traded to Toronto, who's only been a starter for a couple of years now and was kind of like battling for the job with Gibson there in Anaheim. And he just got paid $5 million by Toronto. So, and I don't think Fred, $5 million, $5 million is a good going rate. Yeah, but not for Freddie Anderson. I'm sorry. I, I, I think he's okay, but I don't think. Freddie Anderson's a top 10, top 15 goaltender in the NHL. Well, not even close. This tells you about the, the, the goalies, the goaltender level. This is not, there's not too many elite goalies left. I mean, there's journeymen, there's young kids and stuff like that, and they're going to throw money at these guys because it's like starting pitching in baseball. Can you, how many good starting pitchers can you get? I mean, ask the Red Sox. So you just have to get, you know, what you can to fill, you know, to fill, uh, you know, fill that void. But, if, you know, you, you get hot like Pittsburgh – and the, you know the kid gets uh, gets hot too. Then you, you know you win the cup. So you don't really even need an elite goalie. If if Tuka got traded, which I wouldn't love, but if they got traded, got a you know uh, a serviceable goalie and got a you know a young defenseman out of it and maybe a second or third line forward. Okay, I can live. I can live with that. You know what I mean. But they have no depth at, uh, at goalie at all right now, and their defense is horrific. So what are you gonna do? Yeah, Kevin. I want Kevin and Joe. I also want to get both of your thoughts on uh, the Kevin Miller signing. Obviously, so, I was not a big fan of that signing at all. I thought it's an overpayment for years for money. I just think you can find a sixth defenseman anywhere. I mean, you have McQuaid. I think him and McQuaid do pretty similar things. I'm not saying they're the same player, but I think they're similar players. And you, I just don't think you need to pay and overextend yourself for Kevin Miller. So, Kevin, what do you think there? And then, uh, Joe, I want to get your thoughts after that sure. on Kevin Miller also. Uh, that was a very, very bad overpay. I mean, we can leave it at that. I mean, McQuaid, he does the same thing as McQuaid. Miller and McQuaid essentially are the same guy. There's the conspiracy theory that the Bruins knew that the expansion team was going to be accepted, 
and you need to you need to shed a certain amount of salary or open up a certain amount of your salary has to be available in the in the expansion draft. So there was the belief that well, the Bruins will put up both McQuaid and Miller. They'll both be worth four million. You know, combined that's like five million dollars of your salary going into the draft, and then one of those guys will be picked, and the Bruins will be fine. That was like the, the theory behind it. But who's to say both of them are going to get either one of them are going to get picked? Because I doubt. You know, maybe McQuaid might might go, but Miller's not going to get taken in that draft. It was just a just a a bad signing. They he he's not a terrible defenseman. He's a serviceable sixth defenseman on this. You know, on on a team. You know, he can't face against the first line, but giving him that. But the problem is they're signing to put to be there for because they don't have anyone else. That's True. that's what they're doing. They're giving him top four money, which is just not good when you already pay. McQuaid top four money and and this is nothing against Chara or Seidenberg because again you go back to saying if somebody's going to give me this money I'm going to do it but Chara and Seidenberg have gone deep down hills in the last three years they're both making big money it's going to be tough to move one of those contracts so you get a lot of defensemen under here and with really bad contracts and you could have just let Kevin Miller walk and not be part of your life anymore instead you give him over $2 million a year. So I totally am against and, and completely disagree with the contract they gave him. For, for any reason they gave it to him, I don't know. And again, this is the issue that the Bruins management's going through when it comes to overvaluing its prospects, which is why hiring Don Sweeney after Shirelli in the same system, it does not work. So, so jumping in on Miller, um, God, this guy gave me so much heartburn. Um, <laughs> when he came up, when he came up, he was a good probably five or six defensemen. Then he got that shoulder injury. He has never been even close to that anymore. And last year, every defensive breakdown, he seemed to be on the ice. Every single one. And you're like, is that Kevin Miller again? Like, did that just happen again? Grant, the second half of the season, because they played better too, um, he wasn't as bad. But to your, you know, the point you made, Kevin, is like, you have a lot of crap. Like what is you know less crappier? So you you know you got the Moros and all that. Are you going to give them a chance? Are you going to give? Um, because the name is completely escaping me right now. The kid they got in the LA Kings trade. Colin Miller. Yes, Colin, Colin Miller. Sorry. Uh, you got the like I always used to say that the wrong Miller's playing. Like Colin Miller is a young kid who has offensive uh, you know offensive um, skills. Why don't we put him in and see what he does? You can't bring him in for three games. He makes a mistake. You sit him on the bench, you send him to Providence. He's never going to be able to mature, to gel with his partners and stuff like that, and really become a serviceable defenseman. Same thing with Joe Morrow, who's like, I believe, the last cog of the Sagan trade. My God. Um, they just, it's just the way, you know, just the way it is. It's just they don't give any of these young kids any time to gel. And, you know, you're going to make mistakes. That's fine. Deal with it. Because at the end of the day, it didn't make a difference because they, they missed the playoffs anyway. I'd rather go down fighting. And have these kids developed and go down and you get, you know, you get the uh, John Michael Lyles and you get the Stepniaks and you, you just mortgage your future and still miss the playoffs. I think it's a Claude Julian effect, too. Which is, hence oh, why I kind of wanted them gone. I think, like, young players, if you're not defensively responsible and you make a mistake. And, look, I get it. When you want to sit Pashnik in a close game, if you're up by a goal, I know Pashnik's not a good defensive player. He can score goals. He's flashy. But... The one thing that bothers me is when Pashnik makes a mistake in the first period and you're down a goal in the third period and Pashnik's still not playing, and then all of a sudden Claude Julien goes, oh, crap, we need a goal. 
and he puts them open. There were five <laughs> minutes left for his first shift in the third period. Oh, don't it's put like it on the plow play at all. Yeah, I don't understand that. That's what bothers me. That's why I, another thing I why I wanted Claude Julian gone. And actually, Joe, you you missed up the one part of the second trade, which hopefully I should I think should be gone. This. This coming yeah. season will be Louis Erickson. As yeah, I've already figured he's gone, so that's why yes. I said that. Are you are you uh, <laughs> upset by Louis Erickson there? Right. I want to get everyone's thoughts there. I know I know how Jason feels. But I also want to get Kevin's thoughts on Erickson as well. Um, Erickson, um, I'm more angry that he wasn't traded um, at the trade deadline for you know I guess they didn't get a first round pick offer. They got a you know maybe a second, maybe two sec. Because you traded, uh, you know your your mid round. Um, picks for these, you know, the other two guys, Stepniak and Lyles, that I would have took those two second rounders if that was presented to me. Louis Erickson is a good player, but he's not going. He didn't. He didn't put him over the top. He showed it. He did not put him over the top. He, he you know, he needs a lot of talent around him to be good. And uh, you know, and they could have got. That was the only time they really had value, right? And he's going to walk. There's no doubt in my mind. And now they're going to get nothing out of out of this deal. And I knew it then. That was going to happen. I just knew it. They weren't. They they just didn't show me enough the whole year that they were gonna really, one maybe even make the playoffs and two do anything. So why would you keep Erickson? You're not gonna win the cup. I mean, why not? Why not trade him and get and try to make some value and build some depth and then you know look good for next year. But yeah, and, and I agree with the the trade. They the should have traded him. I mean, I, I've been on my Louis Erickson love fest the last couple of years. I I wish we didn't get Louis the way we got Louis, you know, because Sagan is is a massive talent in this NHL. I've always liked Louis Erickson. I watched him play a lot in Dallas. But when when you had the chance to trade him, especially this year, he is in a peak year. He had I think it was thirty goals, a little over 30, at least exactly thirty or a couple over of thirty goals. He's a thirty goal scorer. And, you know, like like Joe said, you know, maybe they couldn't have got a first-round pick and nobody was offering it, but now you're going to lose him, it looks like, for nothing when you could have had at least two second-round picks, which can be valuable. You know, we've seen them be valuable, valuable before. And the fact that they didn't trade him when they had the chance to is is kind of mind-boggling. And they were still back in around the deadline, very far away in terms of how much money he wanted and how many years. And they still are now, which means no progress got done. You kept the guy for no reason at all, and now you're going to lose him. And we go back to that Sagan trade where now it's looking like, because you trade Riley Smith to Florida, now it's essentially, if you lose Erickson, it's literally Tyler Sagan for Jimmy Hayes and Joe Morrow. And that's if you sign Morrow because he's now a free agent. So if Morrow and Erickson walk, that Sagan trade boils down to Tyler Sagan for Jimmy Hayes straight up. My God. My God. That's awesome. That's, I just that's, choked. I think I just choked on my food. My God. <laughs> that's a, not the way you want to look back at a trade, especially for a guy that has been in the top. I don't know if he, he might have fallen out of the top 10 because of his injuries the last two years, but has been in the top 10 in points the last couple of years uh, and, and has helped his team get to the playoffs consecutive years, and you have missed it now consecutive years. Yeah, that's definitely a mouthful to hear right there. Tyler Sagan and Jimmy Hayes is all we have left over. Yikes. As Joe just said, I think I just choked up my food that I'm not even eat- that I'm not even eating, and I think I'm. Still you mean choked. Joe Morrow? You mean Joe Morrow and Jimmy Hayes, Mike? Yeah, but I, I'm expecting Joe Morrow to walk because I feel like last. So all we have left is Jimmy Hayes. Yeah, so that's why I'm I'm kind of like doing what Joe's doing, where he's saying he thinks Erickson's gone. I think Morrow's gone. I don't think Morrow wants to play for the Bruins and Claude Julien. Just for last, watch just for last, watch them resign Brett Connolly. No, oh, no, Brett Connolly and Chris Kelly are going to be his first top oh, pr- pr- off-season priorities. 
Now, wouldn't you think that with, you know, Joe Morrow, uh, wouldn't you think they would try to take more of a chance on him than a Kevin Miller? I mean, that's what I, that's what I would have done if I was him personally. Like Joe Morrow has some offensive upside. He's a young, younger defenseman. I know he's not as physical as Kevin Miller is, but you have McQuaid there for the physicality, and you still have Chara. I know Chara's, like you said, probably five steps behind of what he used to be, but Chara still brings that toughness factor too. So you don't need Kevin Miller to to be there and playing a top four role. I'd rather, like you said, last year was was the time to do it. When they had Morrow, they had Trotman, they had Colin Miller, and not one of them developed because they kept playing the same defenseman over and over again. And that's the problem with this Bruins team is they keep relying on veterans that are middle of the road to average at best. And that's the problem I have with this Bruins team. And I don't see how it's getting any better anytime soon because, like you said earlier, Joe, the prospects are a few years away. There's not really that many free agents out there that can you know transcend a team and make it change overnight so it's just going to be a tough couple I think it's going to be a tough few more years for the Bruins until some of these prospects are hopefully ready and can come in and maybe you know start the fire and get the boys going again and none of the top free agents are going to come here either because they know the Bruins are not close to being cup contenders right now so anyone out there who thinks Stamkos is coming stop it's not happening thank you Joe thank you it's not it's not going to happen stop it just stop Look in the mirror and say, I'm going to stop because he's never going to come here at all because the window for like Bergeron is closing and Crutchy after another hip surgery, who knows what he's going to be. And then you got Marsha and then Pasternak. Who else do you have? Like that's going to be a threat with the puck. Nobody. There's really no one, you know? So it's, uh, it's, it's very, it gets me depressed. I'm pretty depressed after the last three or four years. It's been pretty bad after the cup. You thought, I mean, how many of you guys, how many of you guys thought that this is like, borderline Chicago dynasty kind of thing. Maybe two cups out of it like L.A. did. That's what I thought. And then they just went to hell. Oh, I agree. They, you know, even they, they had the slow start in 2012, but then they, they ripped off like 25 wins between November and December. And I was like, this team is destined to do it again. And then, you know, everything just fell apart. And all the contracts piled up and they just, it just messed them up completely. And now here we are and, and they're treading water and, and, looking like they're going nowhere for the next five years. I just think it's funny, too, how, like, Bruins fans are kind of, like, adopting the Celtics mentality about, oh, the big free agents coming to, to no. the Bruins. Stamkos isn't coming to Boston. I'm sorry. <laughs> like you said, Joe, if he does come here, I will come on this show. I'm, we'll call you back. We'll have you on. And me and you will sit here and eat our words, and everyone can bash us. But come on. Steven Stamkos isn't going to come here. He's not coming he, here. They said he likes to play center. And that's why he's having an issue in Tampa Bay because Cooper likes to play him on the wing, but Stan Coles wants to play center. You already have Krejci and Bergeron at your centers. Bergeron can play the wing, obviously, but he's your best defensive center and the, probably a top five overall center, two-way center in the game, top three every year. So you're not going to move into him. Krejci really never plays wing, so you're not going to move him. Stan Coles is not coming to Boston to be a third-line player and play with the likes of Chris Kelly and uh, Jimmy Hayes. Zach- Zach Ronaldo, Brett Connolly, whoever you want to throw in there. It's not happening. It's nice to, to talk about, but, I mean, I don't know why you would. But the, the interesting thing I did here was that someone floated this out there. It was Milan Lucci possibly returning to Boston, which okay. I think would be a mistake, and I just wanted to get what you guys think about that. It was, I think it was on CSN where Don Sweeney said he's calling everyone. So I know it's not anything, like, super big that's, like, on the verge of happening, but – it was floated out there, and I just want to get everyone's thoughts on the Lucci uh, reunion. 
if Luch had one good run in Boston, the 2013 playoffs, you know, especially the comeback versus, uh, you know, Toronto, he was pivotal, especially in that last game to win it. He had the guy, you know, he was like the, he was the fiery leader. He had the guys on his back. He played good throughout that whole playoff run. Beside that, you got anyone out there, please tell me where he made a difference. I agree with Joe. He had that good run in 13. And, I mean, even the year he scored 30 goals, like six of them were empty net goals. Empty netters, yeah. It wasn't a legit season. It wasn't a legit 30-goal season. And I wouldn't bring him back because, you know, he's going to break the bank. Somebody's going to give him Vancouver, wink, wink, is going to give him massive money. And I am not giving that guy more than – he had $6 a year when he was here before we traded him. No more than six million. I wouldn't even give more than five million, but that's my personal opinion on him. Don't even want him to sniff back in a Bruins uniform. It's gone. We we got a good deal out of that trade by getting Colin Miller, and then we got the other pick out of it, which now is Frederick or whatever the hell it was, because the whole Martin Jones deal, with, which was part of the LA deal. But I don't want him back in Boston. In, in my opinion, you can already see it's happening. The- Kevin already hinted at it. Vancouver is going after Lucic and Erickson. Let Vancouver ha- overpay for both of them. The Bruins can use their money elsewhere. If they're smart, if Sweeney's smart, he'll find a way to make it work. How they're going to do it, I have no clue. <laughs> no one does. I don't, I don't know. Yeah, no one really does. Yeah, you're right. But, um, all right, Joe, thanks for joining us. Do you have any final thoughts before uh, we get, uh, let you go for the night? Uh, I just want to let, you know, all the season ticket holders, God bless you, because I don't know how you guys put up with it and paying all that money to see that product. One thing they need to do is they got to establish themselves at home again, or they're going to go nowhere fast. I they don't were so you, bad at home last year. Wasn't uh, it mind-blowing how bad they were at home last year? Well, I mean, I know people, you know, I, I feel for the season ticket holders. I just really feel bad. That's a lot. What One of the most expensive tickets in the league, and you saw just a pile of slop every night. It was just, um, oh, God, I'm sorry for you all. I just hope uh, you guys think better when you renew because this there's love, you know. There's love in a team and being a diehard, and then just being getting fleeced, and then you know. I think that's unfortunately happening to these good fans. But hey, gentlemen, I had a blast. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate. Hey, Joe. It. Uh, what what? Fans- oh, Joe, it's great to have you on. We'll have you on again awesome. sometime. What, I hope so. Uh, what what blog do you write for, Joe? And uh, if you want to promote your Facebook for all Bruins fans sure. as well, to, yeah. to, to get to get more insight with the Bruins, by all means, help uh, promote yourself away. I appreciate it. Um, so it's uh, Big Bad Bruins uh, on Facebook. So Big Bad Bruins, uh, Big Bad Bruins Nation, um, 47,000 strong. So very happy about that. And then my blog is Boston Sports Then and Now. So you guys can check that out. If you put in the uh, tag Bruins, you can see me uh, kind of lose my mind a lot. So um, yet again, I appreciate you guys. I'll be promoting this uh, great podcast. And thanks again. All right, Joe. Thanks. Appreciate that. We'll talk to you soon. All right, gentlemen. Thank you. Thank Bye. you. All right, and there you have it. We have Joe Gill from Boston Sports Then and Now and his Big Bad Bruins Nations page on Facebook. Absolutely. And um, so, guys, I know we just had talked about a lot there with the Bruins and the Bruins going forward and the Bruins in the past. And, you know, free agency is coming up. And before we touch on the NHL awards, I want to touch on that quickly. Um, what what do you want for the Bruins to do right now? Everyone, I know everyone keeps saying defensemen. And everyone's the big name out there for the Bruins is Shattenkirk. And I kind of want to circle back around Shattenkirk quickly because that's the big name floating around. Well, I think Shattenkirk's a good defenseman. I don't look at Shattenkirk as like uh, Chris Letang or a Brent Burns or a Drew Doughty. Does it help the Bruins next year? Of course it does because Shattenkirk's better than any Bruins defenseman they have right now. But what is this Bruins team going to do to fix themselves and get back to where they need to be? I mean... 
the guy kind of mapped it out as, you know, obviously they need two top four defensemen, whether it's Shadden Kirk in the trade or you get Demers, who is Jason Demers is pretty much the best unrestricted free agent out there. You need to get two top four defensemen. If you lose Erickson, you got to get a top six forward. And then you got to get a backup goalie. Every pressing issue, you 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 know, there's a lot of issues with this team, and that's why it doesn't look like they're going to make the playoffs. They need at least four guys to come in. Help. They have a they have a better chance of finding a pot of gold underneath the rainbow. Yeah, it's 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 very it's going to be very challenging. You're looking at you know, a lot of money on two top four defensemen, or a lot of the you know prospects and picks. You need a top six forward, which could be Ocpozo, could be. Maybe another guy through trade, or you could re-sign Erickson, somebody out there, and need a backup goalie, which might cost you Jonas Enroth or, or you know, some guy that can come in and be a good backup. But there's a lot this team needs. It's, there's an, they need something. To- and unfortunately, Don Sweeney isn't any uh, trader Danny type type GM. He's not going to give up what we need to give up to get the players that we need, and that's why making a trade is almost impossible. Yeah, he showed it last year, but he's not really showing it right now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's going to be a tough, tough more few years for the Bruins. And I think, I think Sweeney is doing the good thing, though. And he is acquiring, like, picks and, and a lot of prospects. I think the Providence Bruins have the potential to be pretty good next year. I mean, they uh, finished pretty high this year after starting off slow. So I think Sweeney is developing the system and doing that, doing the drafting part better. Because I think that's where Shirelli really hurt the Bruins also was drafting and developing because – that's why you had to sign all the third and fourth line players that Shirley was signing because there was no one in Providence or in their system ready to take a job when someone's contract was up. When Chris Kelly's contract was up, there's no one there to replace him. The best player they had, I feel like, in Shirley's tenure that like played or that I, I don't even think should have played was Jordan Caron. And that's where I think Sweeney's doing a better job. It is drafting. I mean, I don't know right now from a hole in the wall if this prospect's going to be this player or compares to this player, but they do have some a lot, a lot of talent, and it seems like promising young young players there in Providence and college. Yeah, they definitely have some promising guys, in, including you know a guy that I think will make the team next year, Danton Hainan. I don't know, I never pronounce his last name right, but even I think that Sinishin, the guy they picked a couple you know, last year, that the reach is going to turn out to be fine. Um, DeBrusque could be fine. Carlo. On Brandon Carlo on defense and Jacob Zaboral on defense, they have the talent there. But now it's really these guys; they need to learn, and that's where I, you know, jump in with Julian and, and don't agree with the way he coaches because these guys they don't get their chances. You know, you really need like these guys to get their chances to make the mistakes and learn from their mistakes and, and develop. There's definitely a good minor league system I think they have going. Now it's you know being in good contract situations and helping you bringing these guys to where they belong. Yeah, and I think they also have Jeremy Lawson on D. They just drafted McAvoy. And a kid that you didn't mention that I am absolutely in love with is JFK, Jacob yep. Forsblocker Carlson at BU. Oh, yeah. I think he reminds me very much of Bergeron. And I hate to throw that comparison on him, but he just reminds me of this type of way that Bergeron plays right now. That's I feel like that's the way JFK plays in college. And I'm in I'm in love with that kid. Yeah, I know. See, I, I like Brandon Carlo. That's one of the players that I'm really keeping an eye on. Like Kevin just said Zach Sanishin. Jeremy Lawson is another player that really these are the players that it's gonna take maybe a couple more years, but when they get up, I think they're gonna do well. I, I Yeah, definitely. Sorry, go ahead, Kevin. 
No, I, I was going to say I agree. You know, I, I did, you know, with the, the prospect report, report, I followed them all year. And, you know, they, there's talent there. Now it's it's making sure they get the right coaching, the right teaching, and the talent turns into what they expected them to be when they drafted them on those draft days. Absolutely. So I just want to touch on the NHL awards quickly. Obviously, the Bruins players of last year had an opportunity to win some awards. And Patrice Bergeron lost the Selkie in first time in three years that he's lost the award and Andre Kovatar won it and a lot of Bruins fans and Bruins media people will be like Bergeron got screwed Bergeron got screwed but I don't think he really got screwed here and I know everyone refers to the Corsi and possession and I don't think the Corsi really sig- signifies the defensive best defensive forward everyone knows Bergeron's a top two top the the best defensive forward out there I just think the writers sometimes that vote will just be like okay well like Bergeron's won it this type of year. And, Kevin, you mentioned the East Coast bias type thing, where I think that a lot of fans from the Western Conference teams feel like there's an East Coast bias, and that's why Bergeron always wins, and that's why East players always win these awards. So I just kind of feel like the writers were like, okay, we'll have Kopitar win this year, and we'll give it to him, and no one can complain about East Coast bias. But I do also think Kopitar is deserving of it. So I don't think when people were saying that Bergeron got screwed, that's pretty fair to Kopitar. So I think Kopitar's a top five two-way center in the game also yeah I I agree with you know I think Bergeron definitely put up a good thing and I I am one of the believers in the advanced stats and Bergeron had a good year but I think my whole idea behind it is Kopitar had a great year you know I I'm a Kopitar guy I like the way he plays the game he's a tremendous tremendous talent and you know I like the the year that he had and when I also think of the east coast bias everybody complains about in the west and even though these are all voted, be- they are voted before the playoffs start, but I think, you know, it kind of plays in and, and the people sit there and say, well, Kopitar and the Kings made the playoffs, the Bruins didn't. I, th- I always think that has some kind of thing in the, the minds of the voters. You know, I, I think at some point they all sit there and say, well, you know, this guy's team made the playoffs, so how important was, was he as opposed to this guy whose team didn't make the playoffs? And I think that played in. I'm not going to bash it, you know. It, to me, honestly, a Selkie award means nothing when your team is literally playing, you know, some terrible hockey. So I'm not going to bash it. Bergeron won the last two years, three of the last four. You know, he'll he'll win more. I know he's going to win more. There's no doubt in my mind he will win more. You know, so I just, you know, good for Kopitar. He finally got his Selkie. And, um, you know, we'll look forward to Bergeron's name being back on it next year. No, I really, I agree. I really can't argue with Bergeron and Erickson not getting the awards. I thought the players that were given the awards deserved the awards. But I also think that at some point, they should let the fans have a vote with this too and really build this NHL awards thing. I don't think the fan vote would be a good idea, as you saw with John Scott in the All-Star game. Yeah. Which ended up which ended up going well, surprisingly. Like, surprising, but still, like fans will somehow, you know, rally together and do something silly. So I feel like the fan vote wouldn't be, it would be like, I feel like they would be like John Scott for a league MVP or something like that. So I just feel like you can't you can't give it all to the fans. So I just feel like the people that are in the media that vote for this should release their ballots. I know Joe Haggerty from CSN released his, and I feel like if you're if you have a vote for these, you should explain your votes to the fans or to the to whoever, and that way you know why they chose this person instead of like Kevin said that. The East Coast bias, the West Coast saying, oh, well, all these writers only care about the East Coast. So, okay, then get everyone, all the people that vote, release your ballot, say why you voted for this person, and there you go. If you if you disagree with it, you disagree with it, but at least 
is the legitimacy and reason behind why people are voting for this person and that person. Yeah, and I agree. And, and to go on with Jason in, in the fan vote, you know, the, the, there's the MVP, which is voted by the writers, and then there's the MVP, which is voted by the players. I wouldn't be opposed to them bringing in some fan votes, with, but the NHL picks, okay, these are the five options for MVP. You know, you choose these guys and make it a different award and, and get the fans into it a little more. But, you know, overall, I, and I, on the new award show the other night, I'm not really against. Uh, maybe the, the Doughty one, maybe, you know, the Norris was a, was a little tough. And, and just because in, in the recent years that I've seen, you know, how many times did Shea Weber have an awesome season? And then, oh, we're going to give it to Eric Carlson because he had 75 points. That's what or I expect. Subban or something like that. Yeah. When they're... Something where the guy had a good offensive year. And I expected Carlson to get it because he had a good offensive year. And they gave it a Doughty. And, you know, there's always one that everybody goes nuts about. But in the, in the ultimate end of it all, the person that went home with the best hardware that night was Sidney Crosby and his teammates that were there with the Stanley Cup. I mean, in the end of it all... Is Patrick Kane? Right, Kane's already won three cups, so I don't think he really cares about that. But is a guy like, yeah, because all the winners were like were like big trophy. Braden Holpe, he goes home with a Vesna. Is he fine with a Vesna? Yeah, he was the best goalie in the league. But honestly, I think Braden Holpe would have rather left with the cup or the Smythe Trophy as opposed to the Vesna Trophy. So in the end of it all, the real winners that night were the Penguins that left with the Stanley Cup by their side. Actually, that's a great point of view. I actually really agree with that. All right. Well, before we get um, before we let the show get, get off the road and uh, until next week when free agency will be well at large next week, so there should be some more news coming out with Brunswick. The one thing I do want to ask you about you quickly, Kevin, and get your get your thoughts on because we haven't talked to you about it soon is the World Cup of Hockey. Are you looking forward to it? Are you happy with the way it's going? Do you like Team USA? Uh, Ryan Callahan just got hurt. Do you think Phil Kessel will be added? So I, I know I'm kind of asking him like three or four questions here, but I want to just get your thoughts on the World Cup of Hockey quickly. And um, do you think Kessel should be named on the team with Callahan going going down? I am totally pumped for it. I love the Olympics. Um, so bring the World Cup of Hockey in just makes it ten times better. I, I can't wait for it. I I like how it's only eight teams. Um, you really got to start it small and then, you know, throw it big. So right now I like the idea of Team Europe and Team North America. I like that. Uh, on, a, on a USA note, I don't see them winning. Um, Canada is just freaking loaded again. And then they always will be. Um, on terms of the replacement for Callahan, it should be Kessel. Uh, Bobby Ryan is also an option. But um, the way Phil Kessel played in the playoffs, he should have had. He should have had one of the spots, even you know when they announced the second the second names, and he didn't make the original list. Should have made the second list. I think Kessel gets the replacement call, and um, overall, though, I'm excited. And it, I don't think USA is going to do well, but I think the you know this is going to be something great for hockey. It's going to be in September when there's kind of a downtime. You know, there's obviously the the baseball playoff runs and and what's happening and. But I think this is going to be big for hockey. They're going to start to grow the game. I'm excited for it. I honestly can't wait. I wish I got tickets to it because I love the city of Toronto. It's being held in Toronto, which it could not be held in a better place than Toronto. Toronto is hockey crazy, and I absolutely love that area. And it's going to be a great situation for them. And I'm looking forward to it personally. And, you know, you got my me saying it right now. Phil Kessel should make this team. Um, but... 
you can't ever rule out with with Brian Burke in the in the office there. I I don't think you can rule out. Uh, yeah, it seems like there's some bad blood there between them two, huh? Yeah, and Burke doesn't like Ryan or Kessel, so I would I would not be shocked if one of those two guys, um, if both of those guys don't make the team. And uh, lastly, Kevin, I want to get your thoughts on Team North America. You said you like it. I think that team's gonna be the the funnest team to watch with all that talent they have, the young talent on that team with. You know, golf is here on defense. Seth Jones, you have McDavid, Eichel, Larkin, McKinnon. I think that team's going to be so good to watch. It's going to be so fun. They're going to be fun to watch. It, it'll all really boil down to how do Gibson and Murray, you know, handle it. Murray's proven that he can handle the pressure in big games. Um, but it'll be fun to see, especially like you mentioned, McDavid, Eichel, um, Nugent Hopkins is going to be there. Ghost, uh, Ghost is on there. Dougie Hamilton. And it's, we get our first real view of Austin Matthews and how he competes with the guys in North America. You know, the, the, the NHL players as opposed to playing in Switzerland. He, he's really going to get – he made the team, and he's, we're going to get our first views of him, which will be really exciting to see. And, um, you know, the people will love it. You know, they get to see extra five, six games of, of Matthews before he really puts on the uniform for them up there. So there will be a team to watch. It'll be fun. I don't think they're going to – I think they'll be like USA. I don't think they're going to win. They're very young, but they're definitely going to be a fun team to watch. And it, it, I, I'm, I'm a fan of theirs already, and I, I, I will be buying their jersey. I love their jersey, and uh, I'm, I'm ready for, for it all to start. I'm really excited for it. And we're, we're literally less than 90, 90 days away from hockey, which is, which is pretty freaking sweet. Yeah, that is pretty sweet. The schedules were released. All teams have their schedule. The Bruins open up in Columbus. On the road, they have three home games. I mean, three away games to start the season. Excuse me, and they're open up at home October 20th against the Devils. And you know what? Maybe it's a good idea for the Bruins to start out on the road compared to their home record last year because it wasn't very good. So we'll, 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 we'll start with them on the road this year and, and see how it goes. But that will conclude our episode of uh, Bruins Beat. Don't forget you can follow all of us on Twitter. I'm at MikeSetup22, at JasonBuckley91. And Kevin, throw out your Twitter out there. So um, I, I, I think it's CLNS Kevin. Am I right? Yes, at CLNS underscore Kevin. Uh, that's the one I post from when you don't want to see my annoying views on other stuff outside of hockey. Yeah, absolutely. And you can also follow our Twitter account at Bruins underscore beat. Like I mentioned when we started the show, Kevin will be joining us from here on out. And we're, great, we're very lucky to have him. It's great. Don't forget to go to our website at, at clnsradio.com. Mike, you're going on vacation next week, right? Yes, I'll get to that. Don't worry, Jason. I'm just telling everyone to go to our website and check out our awesome stuff because we have a lot of Bruins stuff, but we also – Cover the other teams as well, Celtics, Patriots, Bruins, NASCAR, you name it. It's on CLNS Radio. Go go to our website and check it out. And, yes, Jason, I will be on vacation next week. So for everyone that's been tuning into the show, listening to myself and Jason, next week it will just be Kevin and Jason because I will be not around. I will be on vacation for the 4th of July. So one of them two will have to take the reins and, and lead the shows and do all the and do all the live stuff. But I, I put it in good hands with you, with you and Kevin, Jason, so I'm not too worried about it. Oh, you're good there. You got us some good hands here. Also, and when you do get by, back, Mike, I am working on this. I'm going to see if I can get J- Jimmy Murphy back on the show as soon as possible for updates on the draft, his views on the draft, and his views on free agency when it comes to the Bruins. So, I've been, I've been in, I'm in touch with Jimmy Murphy a lot, so I'm trying to get him back on. Yeah, absolutely. We'll get him on eventually. And um, also, last question before before I let you go. Before I let you go, when I talk to you guys in two weeks. Will the Bruins have another defenseman on this roster? What do you guys think? Yes. Okay. Uh, I'm going to say no. 
All right, so we'll look forward to that. Free agency starts at the end of this week. So NHL news is just starting up. The 2016-2017 season is under officially underway. And uh, we'll talk to you guys next week. Go Bruins. Go Bruins.